This week's episode features special guest Aaron, the co-founder of Arteries, an art marketplace that believes the term starving artist belongs in the past. Visit arteries.com to learn more and join their mailing list for future updates. That's A-R-T-A-R-Y-S dot com. Listeners who mention Creative Genius in the contact form will receive a special gift when Arteries launches. You know, that's really important that those glasses are clean. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that's taken care of. Lou, do you have to wear glasses? No, uh, not yet, at least. Yeah, then you don't know what it's like to try to look through foggy glasses. So shut the fuck up. Hey, man, I'm just saying, you know, I, I, I would assume one would clean the glasses on the regular. It seems like a normal thing to do. There are some times where to clean glasses, and this is just my experience, and I don't even wear glasses all the time. I only wear them when I look at computers. Ironically, I'm not wearing them right now, but hey, whatever. But like sometimes the cleaning cloth like just doesn't seem to get all the junk off the glasses, or you'll clean it once and then you put it on and you're like, oh god, it's still I missed a spot, you know. So it's it's such a first world problem, you know, because it's yeah, it's only affecting you. But dude, the glasses since they're right in front of your face, you see everything, everything. Like it could look fine four feet away, and then as soon as it comes right up to your face, it's like everything is there. And even just one little smudge makes it defeats the purpose of the glasses. So, very true, very true. Well, it looks like we're pretty much back to our uh, normal bickering. I guess we should introduce everybody to Aaron, the uh, guest of the week. You know, I, I hinted about the uh, the guest last week, but uh, Aaron, you want to say a quick hello? I know you've uh, you've had a good chuckle of us bickering. Hey guys, what's going on? So. Aaron, we have a little bit of a tradition on this podcast uh, of when we bring on a new guest. Um, this is a, a tradition in that I don't really like a, a particular artist. And it's well, well established that Adam has a special place in his heart for uh, a one Taylor Swift. So we would just like to get your thoughts and uh, input on uh, the Taylor Swift. What do, what do you think about her? Oh, it's a her. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. I'm going to call this a W in my court already. I'm just sitting over here, you know, like boiling in rage, you know. When I saw that, uh, when, when I was, that I was going to be asked about Taylor Swift, the first thing I thought was, oh, wow, I haven't been keeping up with the Olympics. Because uh, apparently this person is, is winning a lot of gold. Um, but no, uh, I don't think I've ever actually heard a single Taylor Swift song, uh, besides maybe something in a commercial. So uh, I, I have to I have to rec- uh, recuse myself because I have no idea. <laughs> All right, Jeff Sessions, thank yes. you. Yes, yes. You, you've definitely heard this in passing because it. You and I used to work together, and I know I played this at work, or I played a Taylor Swift song at work. So I'm sure at some point in time. Maybe you didn't recognize it. Maybe you didn't know it, but you heard Taylor Swift. That 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 must have been one of the very few moments where I was happy when we were working together. See, there there it is, right? Spreading joy to all of the people. I'm sure that there's enough room for for Taylor Swift in everyone's life. Uh, I'm sure. You know, I hope so, because you know how they have team 
Taylor Swift, Team Katy Perry, lose Team Katy Perry, and I'm not Team Katy Perry. But, you know, I we were keeping track of how many people were T-Swift fans and how many people weren't. Uh, I'm okay with you recusing your vote because that keeps me in the lead. So, Well, baby, you're a firework. I guess that says which side I'm on. <laughs> <laughs> This is this is this is off to a good one. So uh, I guess we should we should say uh, both that we we both previously worked with uh, Aaron. So um, this is how we, we we know Aaron, and uh, we've worked with him for God. Aaron, I probably worked with you for a few years, and uh, Adam, you the same, pretty much. I don't remember. Well, it's needless to say, I've spent thousands of hours in my life with Aaron, and uh, I don't regret, I don't think, one of them. So, uh, except Adam might regret, like, this one hour because of the Taylor Swift <laughs> argument, so. You we'll know see. what? No, that's that's the thing, right? Everyone thinks that I hate everybody, and that's not true. Like, I like a lot of people. Aaron is definitely one of the people that I have never gotten into an argument with Aaron uh, over anything. I don't think we've ever had, like, you know, words or <laughs> how do you, however you want to say it, but... I've always gotten along with Aaron and that's kind of one of been kind of been one of the the great things about it. But no, everyone thinks I'm out to get you, but it's it's just you. Is Taylor Swift the one from the Apple commercial who falls on the treadmill? Yes. Okay, yeah, I'm a fan. Taylor Swift's not bad. Yeah, and she's where she's rapping to um I think it's a Drake song, right? <laughs> yeah, Jump Man. Oh, it's a okay. So Drake is the one that I like then, not Taylor yeah, that, Swift. <laughs> you just like Taylor Swift, you know, singing Drake songs. Like, that's fine. I, I can consider that a win. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I, I really enjoyed working with, with both of you guys. Um, uh, we definitely did spend many hours together. Uh, and uh, living uh, halfway across the country now, I miss a lot of the, a lot of the peeps. Definitely do, but uh, you know, change is good, and uh, now I have other people here that I like working with equally as much. Uh, none of them are as good as that team, though. That team we had was uh, was pretty amazing. We did some really cool stuff. Yeah, we were we were pretty awesome. We we definitely were. Well, uh, I, I guess I, I just wanted to put a little plug in here too that. Uh, we should uh, wish you a, a little bit of an early birthday. We don't uh, we don't get to often talk to you, Aaron, and so it's like it's literally like what a week or two away now. So uh, happy early one, man! Ooh, it'll probably be um, it'll probably be a little closer when this episode comes out. Yeah, it's uh, uh, I think I'm in the in the state in my life where birthdays are horribly depressing i i I, this this upcoming one is i mean i'm in my mid-30s uh uh, but every single one that i'm having now i'm just finding to be more and more depressing um you're on like the upward trend towards that midlife crisis you know yeah i think that's exactly what it is but i I mean i think that when you get into that state of mind it's just (laughs) i never really drank a lot but I, i think that 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 might be in the forecast for me but uh yeah man i really appreciate the the early birthday yeah it's in a little bit over a week and uh you know it's just another year down and one less year i have to worry about living later on (laughs) so dark yeah you you definitely are uh on that uh the sadistic side of the birthday uh birthday spectrum (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. So I, I'm probably, I think, the youngest out of, out of the three of us here. And, and I uh, I recently, you know, a couple of years ago, I passed 25. And I was like, all right, yeah, there's, there's really nothing to look forward to anymore. It's just like everything from here is either in five or 10-year increments. And you go through so many great ones between like 16 and 25 where there's like, you know, okay, I'm, you know, I can get my license to, you know, I'm a full adult to, I can drink to like, I can actually rent a car and be a human. And, and like, and then you get over 25 and you're like, yeah, everything's five or 10 years away from anything good. And even that it's like, it's not really that good. I don't, I don't really want to turn 30 or 40 or anything. No, no the next, the next big milestone for me is, oh, I could be president now if I wanted. Yeah. There you <laughs> go. That, that's not fucking exciting at all. I don't know, man. I mean, if he can do it, anyone can. <laughs> yeah, that, that is very true. Taylor Swift could be president. Hey, T. Swift for president. I was pushing that before Donald Trump ran. Well, she has about 30 more years. <laughs> <laughs> no, she's, not, she's only, what, two years younger than us? Uh, yeah, she's 27, I think. Yeah, 1989, man. Oh, she's she's a lot younger than me then. <laughs> she, she's she's my age, Adam. I think that the birthday thing, uh, you know, I actually I could pinpoint the exact moment my birthday became depressing, and uh, I'm really sorry to either of you uh, if this if this goes to your hearts or to any of your listeners' hearts. But when I turned 25, uh, my sister called me, and she's my older sister, and she was like, "Well, you're 25 now." What that means is that in 15 years, you'll be 40. And 15 years just didn't seem far away anymore. It didn't seem like a long time. So ever since then, every time I have a birthday, it's just that it's now I'm this many years away from 40. But I think that what that means, like Adam said before about a midlife crisis approaching it, is that, you know what, once I hit 40, though, then I won't have anything to be afraid of. I think that after that, every birthday will be great. So, <laughs> kind of my plan. Yeah, and, and the way the way to think about it too is like you haven't even hit the halfway point. You know, in terms of like your journey in life, like you haven't even hit halfway. And with yeah. modern medicine, you know that halfway mark keeps you know getting further and further away. So the way I looked at it was like it took me eighteen years to become an adult, and you know it's going to take me another eighteen years to be two times an adult, right? Level two adult. And I have kids, so I'm like, all right, well, it will take them 18 years to get to their adulthood, and I'll be here. So, like, I have at least another, like, frame of reference or a reference point just, like, to keep my age kind of in perspective. But, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. Everyone wants to look at it as, like, oh, it's, you know, I'm just getting older, or this this year goes by, and it's another year, or it's now I'm, you know, another year closer to death or whatever. And it's like, you know, time starts flying and you don't really know where it goes. Like you mentioned, you know, like, oh, 15 years before I'm 40. And I didn't think those 15 years are going to come by, you know, like this quick, right? Like we're already getting close to it. But just enjoy the time you have, you know, like there's one thing I learned is to kind of like just slow down a little bit, right? Like days are going to go by. Like there's nothing you can do about that, but just enjoy the day. And I know that sounds like a super hippie, like, you know, just chill out, man, like total Santa Cruz, like lifestyle. But it's kind of true, right? Just enjoy the time you have. and if you make light of everything you did, like today I went and I played around with an RC car and like, that was a fun thing that I did today. We went to BMX track with the kids. And it's like, if you just take that away, it's like, Hey, this day was awesome because of X and you do that each day. Oh man, this is just turning into like 
self-help, you know, podcast. Um, yeah, yeah. Adam's going to start telling me about, you know, how I need to like mindfully meditate next. And the, the Santa Cruz is really rubbing off on you. <laughs> I do meditate. That is, that is. A thing. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like 10 minutes a day. If that, right. You can do it in like two minute increments or five minute increments, but there's, there's something to be said about actually like just clearing your head and just reflecting on just the day. Or reflecting on nothing in a lot of in a lot of cases, and yeah, it, it helps a lot just with your your outlook on life. So, Lou, stop stressing out about stuff. Like, take a chill pill. Like what you just said about stress, though, is is really that's. I mean, the meditation side is really just to get rid of that stress. Because I mean, um, have you ever have either of you ever listened to uh, the two thousand year old man? It's Mel Brooks and Carl Reiner. I haven't listened to it. No. So yeah, it's a it's a record. It's from the it's from the fifties. So it's like an OG podcast. Um, and Mel Brooks basically plays a guy who's two thousand years old. So they do this long interview, and they're interviewing him and asking him questions. And he talks about how he dated, uh, you know, dated uh, Joan of Arc and 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 stuff like that. And after all of this time, two or three hours of interviews. Carl Reiner's just like, you know, what is your advice to everybody to live live a long, healthy life like you? And he's just like, you know, don't run for the bus. There'll just be another one later. Yeah, there you go. Just chill out. But yeah, taking a few minutes to clear your mind. Uh, I, I don't practice like any specific meditation, although I do have a couple of apps and a couple of songs that work for me particularly well. Uh, but like i have i effectively have five different jobs and i am pretty much working all hours of the day waking up at 6 and and going to sleep at midnight 1 o'clock and um aside from every app out there that's available to help you sort out your life uh, you still have to make sure to 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 maintain your own well-being and your own mental state, um, either by meditating or, or, or painting or, or finding that that outlet uh, that really helps, uh, is, is really valuable. It's really valuable. So, um, yeah, as you get older and you get more and more stressed, because every single year you can add more and more crap to the list of, of crap going on in your life, uh, gotta got to learn how to put it in perspective. And uh, and chill out. And I think moving to Texas from California was a motivator to kind of get my head straight. Well said. Well said. Very well said. Well, uh, I guess we should move on into a little bit of follow up. And uh, speaking of lowering my stress levels, I guess uh, Adam needs to be a little uh, nicer to me. It says in in the show notes here. So what what is this about, Adam? You need to be nicer. Do you need yeah, to apologize? I do- I do need to be nicer. I, I don't know about apologize, uh, but I do need to be nicer to you because there's, there's been a couple of reports. My wife is one of them where she was like, Hey, you, you're really mean. Like if I didn't know you and I listened to this podcast, I would think you were a dick. And I was like, well, okay, I guess that's true because you and I, Lou, like we've always had this kind of relationship. It seems right. It's never really been, it's never been odd to me or it's, I don't really, I guess I never looked at it through like another lens. But now that, you know, I'm starting to get people to say like, hey, like, you're really mean. I was like, well, I'm not mean all the time. Like, it's just the way Lou and I kind of interact. So basically all this is to say, like, yes, I need to try to be nicer to Lou and not jump, you know, 
down your throat all the time, just maybe like 50% of the time. So you can feel free to check me on that one. So I'm sorry, Lou, for being so mean to you. And I'll try to be a little bit nicer. No, it's 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 totally good. The uh, the funny part, Adam and I have yes always kind of had this relationship, and um, Adam and I are just separated by a couple of years, and he's always um, I feel like just just a couple of years ahead of me in life and in 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 every way, and he's always like just kind of pushing me and 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 throwing punches at me a little bit, be like, hey, you you can be better, do this, do this, and throwing stuff in my face, and and it's 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 all uh, you know out of love, so I I, I take it with stride. I can vouch. I can vouch for this. I can. I, I feel so happy that I can have that. I can vouch for this entire thing. Having worked with both of you, I can say that this is how you two have always been. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's it's good that I, this kind of follow up. You know, these <laughs> the reports and us discussing them came on at a point where yes, we're having someone on who has worked with both of us and seen both of us interact. Because yeah, if if you've never really seen our relationship at work, you know. Um, not at work, but at work, you know, like actually working. Uh, yeah, it's, it's awkward and it just sounds like I'm a horrible person, but I, I, I get along with Lou a lot. I, I have a special place in my heart for Lou and yeah, it's true. Like I, I try to push him sometimes like, Hey, try this, try this, try this, or like, you can do this, you can do that. Uh, and it comes across as mean, but I'll, I'll try to, I guess, re revisit my approach during the podcast hours to make it seem like, well, not to make it seem like, you know, but, uh. To make it seem like you care for me. <laughs> no, I just told you I care for you. I just, you know, bore my soul on, on the audio You gave waves. me the warm and fuzzy, and then you're like, well, I kind of need to put on an act when we record the podcast. Well, you know, I just, I, I need to tone it down for the podcast is what I mean, right? Uh, that's too good. Uh, yeah, no, it's 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 totally, uh, you know, the, the norm for us. So I, I get it. I, I'll turn I, my sass down from 11 to a 10, you know, like. Oh, so sweet of you. Aww. Thank you. Uh, so we also have a little bit of follow-up about uh, pronunciation. So, uh, Adam, you want to walk through the uh, – what is it, What is this actually called? When when they give you the pronunciation in the dictionary with the, all the squiggly lines, is there, a, is there a name for that? Isn't it phonetics? Yeah, it should be the, the phonetic spelling. Okay, okay. Well, that, thanks for like making that a lot easier than I thought it was. I figured there would be some like name for this character set, but anyway, um, you want to you want to go through the uh, pronunciation, Adam? So I guess if you've never read phonetics, could you, could you read this? Like, this is how they do it in the dictionary and everything, right? So I copied this straight from you know Mac OS's dictionary. So could do you understand the phonetic uh, alphabet, Lou? Like, do you get those? I mean, I can look at that and say like roughly what it says yes but like i don't know that i've seen some alphabet that says you know like this is how you pronounce each one of these characters if there is such a thing yeah i I looked at it at one point and it gives you kind of like you know this you know symbol over these letters means this and blah 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 but uh so last last week we talked a lot about different you know linux distributions and one of them uh you and i both pronounce different ways so this was kind of like follow-up for me to actually figure out how you pronounce it. Uh, so I, I looked it up, and it's uh, Ubuntu. So Ubuntu is uh, it's African for, I believe it was something to deal with harmony. So now I'm going to have to look it up again. But it was, it had this really, really interesting meaning behind it, basically, where everything's coming together. And I, I think I said Ubuntu, and people say Ubuntu, but I believe it's Ubuntu. So I just want to, you know, 
say it correctly once on air, so no one can say I didn't say it correctly. And if I probably still said it incorrectly, then I'll hear about it. Oh, that's very cool. I I don't know how I pronounced it last week, uh, so I don't know if I actually said it correctly or incorrectly. But uh, but I'm glad I've like learned from it. And uh, if I did get it correct, I'm I'm quite surprised I did because it's it, it is a funky word. Have you ever used uh, Ubuntu, Aaron? I have. Yeah, it was a really long time ago. I was uh I was really into uh, Leo Laporte the tech guy on KFI from way back in the day. Um, I wonder if he's still on the air. Shit. Oh, yeah, he has his own network now. Can't get him to shut up. Isn't he on Twitch or something? No, uh, Twit, yeah. Twit, that's it, Twit TV. And he's in a lawsuit with Twitter, I think, right now for copyright stuff. So, yeah, you know. But um, he was a pretty pretty big proponent of Ubuntu, and I, I tried it out. Uh didn't particularly. I mean, it's it's phenomenal if you if you really are into the computer science side of things and want to go kind of crazy. But to me, I I like the least amount of interference possible when I'm using a computer. Um, so for me, it's the less work, the better. And I know Mac, so I do Mac. Yeah, there's something to be said for like familiarity, right? Where it's something you grew up on, or something you're really used to, or something you're accustomed to and yeah sw- switching especially something like an operating system right like you know how to use a computer because you've used a computer every day for so long and someone says here use this computer and it's totally different you kind of go in that period of like oh my uh, how do i where where is this thing i used to do it this way and now it's this way and people you know don't like that and i know we've all kind of had first hand experience with that you know with people coming in with you know just anxiety on like using a computer and that's never something anyone wants. So to willingly, you know, put that on yourself by installing a different operating system is not something a lot of people, you know, care to do. So it's, but it's nice to try, like it got to try it once. Right. I didn't inhale though. I tried it once. I didn't inhale. (laughs) Yeah. There's a lot to be said between for the difference between user friendly and used to friendly. Like I've come across that so much and, and with computers used to friendly is, is a really, really bad thing to be. Um, there's, there's so many people that are like, I love the way this is keep it. And that is a really bad place to be. If you're in technology, it's, it's just, no, don't, don't go for familiar with your customers. Go for, uh, user intuition rather than, Oh, they'll know it's just like that. If you if you say it's just like this, it's you're off to a really bad start. Yeah. I didn't <laughs> I didn't think the phonetic spelling. I thought it was like what's it called? Uh ASCII. ASCII art? You thought it was just some Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was I was looking at that the phonetic spelling of Ubuntu and I was like, that's really cool looking. It looks like um it looks like a uh, nice graphic art for you. Yeah. You know? Some upside <laughs> down, so. you know, like uh, frowny faces and an upside down meh face. It looks like something Taylor Swift would get tattooed vertically on her ribs. Like, oh, this is I, these are like Thai symbols for hope. Like <laughs> something really lame like that shit. Wow. I'm wow. sorry. <laughs> it's uh, Adam's version of graffiti in the pages document. <laughs> That would be actually a really cool version of graffiti to put on anything, actually. (laughs) 
and you know what? It, it has a meaning behind it too, right? Like you could put that on there and people are like, what the fuck is that? And they're like, no, 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 it means something. <laughs> I was staying at the, at a hotel in Cupertino, um, which of course is Silicon Valley for any listener that's, uh, well, I guess all your listeners know about Silicon Valley. Um, I was at this hotel. Uh, I, I don't remember which hotel it was. I think it was something by the Hilton. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> the, the, what are the curtains above the window called? Do you know what I'm talking about? The valences? Is that what you're talking about? Or Yes, I think it's the valence. Is that it? Or valence or whatever Valences, it is. yeah, it's a valence. And it was like, the entire thing was the art on it. The, like, the, the pattern was made out of binary. And I was like, this is like a super nice hotel. Like, this is a really nice hotel that is, is ready to bring me a $10,000 bottle of champagne, which I'm, <laughs> like, it's in their menu, and they have binary, like, on, on their balance. <laughs> and I was laughing so hard. And then I found out that they had uh, binary code, like, all over their hotel, just hidden in the design and in the artwork. It was really cool. <laughs> what you don't know is that, like, it's the actual source code for, like, you know, some you know, original operating system of, you know, some big name company somewhere just scattered all across the floors. Just, they hid the source code in plain sight. Mm hmm. Yeah. Just like that movie source code with Jake Gyllenhaal. I never saw that. Was, isn't that the one where he like was reliving the same like day or something like that? Or is that a different Jake Gyllenhaal movie? Yeah. It was like Groundhog's Groundhog's day with autism. I think. Was that it? Yeah, does it, that's not source code, is it? Is that the movie? It might be. I don't know. <laughs> I don't even remember. I never watched it, but I saw the, the trailers. And I'm like, didn't someone just do this where, you know, they had the Groundhog's Day thing going on? Maybe it just felt like Groundhog's yeah. Day. And I'm like, you know, Jake Gyllenhaal, Bill Murray, they're the, essentially the same person, you know? Speaking of movies, though, Lou, you, uh, you actually watched your February movie. I definitely did watch my February movie. It was uh, it was pretty good, I have to say. I, I was pretty happy with it. Like overall, if we're going like thumbs up, this was definitely better than Iron Man. I liked it more. I definitely got some. There's there was like the one thing I can really say about about Mean Girls was the number of like solid lines that from the movie was way above a normal comedy. I, I mean, there was probably like fifteen, you know, good funny lines throughout the movie so it doesn't take more than like every like five or ten minutes i was laughing pretty good so i was pretty happy with the movie and that movie is definitely the uh the king or queen of one-liners that's for sure (laughs) yeah i don't know like um i mean you guys probably know this there who who the heck like wrote the movie script but yeah there's it's just chock-a-block full of like one-liners but uh but it was definitely good uh there's some some solid ones that i'm sure i'll just drop in in my everyday life now. Oh, you gotta know who wrote Mean Girls. Come on. Yeah. Think think a little bit. Who was in that movie? Uh, I have no clue. Uh, do I have to know any of the actors' names or actresses' names? Because I definitely don't know any. Do you like 30 Rock? Uh, what's that? The show? 30 Rock? Nope. Don't know what that is. <sighs> you ever watch Saturday Night Live? Nope. What that? Well, I, I know what that is, but I, I shouldn't say what's that. But I know what that is. Mean Girls, do you remember the math teacher, Tina Fey? Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, okay, yeah, I remember the math teacher. Yeah, she wrote it. She's the writer. Oh, okay, cool. But she's also one of the writers for Saturday Night Live and uh, 30 Rock. 
Got it. Okay. So if you like Mean Girls, you you have an entire series to watch of Thirty yeah. Rock. You can watch all of Thirty Rock. Okay. Okay. I might actually like like I liked Mean Girls, so that would make a lot of sense to then watch uh, Thirty Rock. So I, that might that might happen. I don't know. We'll see. So it's funny because when we did your movie list, uh, John had you know kind of mentioned the idea. He's like, "Hey, um, should we also like?" maybe do tv shows and i was like whoa 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 that's a lot of commitment man i i don't know if i can get him to sit down and watch a two-hour movie let alone watch like a 30 episode you know tv show nope so Fuck that no. that'll that'll nope. be for later but i mean <laughs> i'm not committing that much if you're gonna make me watch a tv show it's going to have to be like the entire year is <laughs> one tv series well, see, that'll be the thing. It's like, hey, bonus round. If you finish this and you have to start watching this TV series, right? But I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I can serial watch, you know, a TV series. And I do it with Breaking Bad every year, it seems. And Game of Thrones right before, you know, the new season comes out. But yeah, you you have to be dedicated to that. But like to Aaron's point, right? Like Tina Fey, like it's it's very much like there's a, a large cast of, uh, of Saturday Night Live um, actors and actresses that appear in that movie. But all the one-liners, oh yeah, it's... It's it's great writing and it's just it's timeless, right? Like I I still watch it. Like I watched it this month, you know, just because we knew you were going to be watching it, and just uh, some of the stuff was like, it's like those rules aren't real. They were real the day I wore a vest. Well, that vest was hideous. <laughs> My problem is I I don't like uh, uh, Amanda Seyfried or whatever her name is, but her character in this one is so perfect. She played the dumb one and. But like I, the thing the thing that bothers me so much is she was she kind of was forced on us as this, um, like hot like this is she's now the like a hot uh, uh, I don't know like car model or something like they were trying to push that and I think she's I I can't stand looking at her I don't know what it is I something about her makes me really visually uncomfortable like it hurts me to look at her it's very wow. weird. <laughs> wow <laughs> i like i won't watch that movie again and i won't watch anything she's in it, i don't know what it is it's just, it, it's like i have espn or something but she was really funny she's a good actress i will give her that <laughs> my uh i think one of my favorite ones was when they're they're sitting in like the cafeteria and regina's eating and she's like is butter a carb <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> i was like oh shit <laughs> oh, it was just so good. I I was not expecting that that like one liner to be drafted right there, <laughs> and uh, for whatever I was doing, I just pretty much fell over. Okay, so so now this gives me an idea to like better refine my algorithm for picking you know Lou flavored movies. So I, I like that this one was a thumb up. I'm very perplexed that it was a thumbs up over Iron Man, but hey. Hey man, you can get me with comedies. Just <laughs> next year, it'll just be like twelve comedies, and like see if we can like home lose taste. Yeah, right. Then I'll be like discovering new movies for you. I I would challenge. Have you ever seen In Bruges? Okay, I'll take that as a no. <laughs> yeah, nope. The awkward silence is a <laughs> <Nope>. no. <laughs> um. Well, that 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 it. Anyway, in Bruges is uh is really really funny. I would say run that uh, run that next, but I will say it's only really really funny for an extremely acquired taste. So if you think that's funny, it will really nail down what your taste is. It's a it's fairly big movie too. It's got um, Colin Farrell in it, I think. 
All right, Adam, you better you better be jotting this down for uh, for future movies. Well, the guy who wrote it just wrote another one. Oh, three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. So if you saw if you saw three billboards, which is nominated for best picture, if you saw that and thought it was funny, then you will love In Bruges. Or if you saw Seven Psychopaths, you wrote that also. So far, so far, I haven't seen any of these. I, 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 I don't uh, expect you to. Yeah. He is really, really, really dark. That's all I gotta say. Yeah. Next month he has to watch uh, Silence of the Lambs. I, no, wait. Next month's March, right? You gotta watch Batman. Batman. Yep. Which one? Wait, what? What do you mean? Which one? If I say Batman, which one? Which one is a uh, Batman? I guess there is only one Batman, technically. Yeah. That's right. That's the one. Michael Batman. Keaton. Right. That's Tim, right. Tim, Michael Keaton. Tim Burton. Tim Burton. Jack Nicholson as a Joker, and Kim Basinger as Vicky Vale. So, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna accidentally plug a totally different podcast. Uh, do either of you listen to Doug Loves Movies? No, I I haven't gotten into too many movie podcasts. I listen to the Flop House, but it's really funny. Um, I accidentally was on Doug Loves Movies uh, in December, uh, I think, or January. I don't I don't remember. Um, but he invites, it's a movie like trivia game. It's fun. It's, you just got to listen to it. And like a few weeks ago, I was at the show where they were recording here and I got pulled up uh, and we had to name movies from actors that were in the movie Three Men and a Baby and I was completely lost. But now every time I think of a movie, I immediately have to go through the entire cast. <laughs> yeah, right. Just, you know, in case you ever get pulled up on stage again. Yeah, so Adam, you, you know what I like now. Now you just need to uh, refine the algorithm, and uh, I'll see what uh, 2019 has for me. Yep. You still got to get through 2018, so until that happens, follow up on the follow-up. <laughs> very true, very true. Well, this week we're going to talk a little bit about uh, something a bit different, but we got a guest to uh, hopefully uh, you know kind of fill us in here a little bit because uh, – as far as I know in this area, not too much, but we're going to be talking about uh, tech and technology's influence on art. And so I, I guess we should kind of start the way we normally do, which is just kind of going a little round robin and, and discussing our familiarity uh, with the subject matter. So uh, Adam, uh, I'll have you start. Uh, what is your familiarity with, uh, with art in general? And are, is there any art in particular you're, super into what can you what can you uh, shed some light on that way yeah so as far as as my kind of familiarity with art like i know what art is like i've been around museums and i've looked at my fair share of art right uh, i took some art history classes in college and took some art classes in high school and uh, what i learned from that is I, i'm very right brain so I, i'm not artistic in any sense right i, I just don't have those kind of muscles and I've tried a couple times to, you know, like, I wish I was more artistic. Like, I wish I had kind of that pull on my left side of the brain. But it's it's hard for me to kind of express that in, in a visual sense, right? I'm very much, I like solving problems. I'm very analytical. So, I, I don't know. Like, I, I would love to be artistic, but I'm just not. And so, my familiarity is, I, I love looking at art sometimes, but... I don't know. I'm I'm just, I'm too right brain, I guess. And I know that's kind of cliche thing. Like, Oh, still right brain. He doesn't know what art is, but I just, I don't know. I, I, I'm not a big fan of um, modern art. I was more of a fan of kind of 
how how do I want to say? I, I don't remember what style of art it was, but like Da Vinci, not Da Vinci, but um, oh my god, like I'm killing myself, like because I'm not remembering artists right now. Van Gogh was uh, my favorite artist when I took art history classes because I liked just the brushstrokes because it was so out there and like once you learned about this guy and learned how kind of crazy and cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs he was, uh, that just really intrigued me. So, but I guess that's my TLDR about art is I don't know much. Okay. All right. Fair enough. And, uh, I, I guess I, I'll go to our guest next because I, th- I think it's only fair that I, that I flip it over to the guest. So, uh, Aaron, what, what is, uh, I know you're probably going to have the most to say in this area, but, uh, you want to give us a little, uh, background and context around, uh, art and kind of your, uh, how you got involved in art? Yeah. Um, well, I guess I, I should explain. I guess my, my whole background, I mean, I've always been involved with art. Um, uh, I've always drawn and sketched and uh, my parents really, uh, pushed me in the art direction. And, uh, both of my parents were artists as well. Uh, my, my dad, uh, mostly like sketched and stuff like that. Um, characters, uh, he's a, he did a lot of, medical drawings, uh, biology stuff. He's a, he's a doctor of evolutionary neuropsychology, which, which sounds very, very intense and cool and special, but in all reality, it just means you need to live off of government grants while you do research for the rest of your life. Um, but he <clears throat> did a lot of that. And then my mom was more of the artistic type, you know, painting and watercolor. So they kind of pushed, pushed me that way. And, um, so I grew up with it. I went through school with it, and uh, I did AP studio art in high school. And I used to go to the middle schools and kind of talk about art with with those kids. Uh, then I went to college and went to uh, Indiana University, and I was an art major there before I had to leave for some familial obligations. And um, so I've always kind of been around it, and. Uh, uh, and I've always got in, I got into video as well. And that sort of exposed me into to editing and, uh, digital effects. And that made me interested in animation. And I was doing little animations on my G3 Macintosh in a, in a program called Flipbook, if you remember that. <laughs> and, um, so I've always kind of been around it and, uh, I've, primarily paint personally uh that and that's actual painting uh as opposed to ms paint or uh digital paint oh ms paint is where it's at man (laughs) um yeah that is way true (laughs) ms paint got like a huge overhaul too though right so like now they have like ms 3d paint and everything so oh yeah you can you can do ms paint there's websites with like Oh yeah, like beautiful drawings, right? Paint, yeah. Oh yeah, and I mean, not only can you view some some awesome ass pieces, but you can also like go on and use the original MS Paint. (laughs) It's really cool, and fuck around with some word art and stuff. Um, but yeah, and I I mean, I've worked in technology uh, for in total probably. 13 years, uh, pretty darn close, uh, and always had passions for it. So 
now I'm just kind of applying everything I learned from both, and that's uh, where how our company started, is uh, combining art and technology. What can we do? Very cool, very cool. Well, we'll definitely talk a little bit about your, your company um, in a little bit. We've, we've definitely got that slated, but uh, I guess I should say that I am what I would say a consumer more of art than a, than a producer. And, um, you know, I've, I've done a, a little bit along the way. Like I feel like any kid has, you, you have to do art in school and, and there was some in, in, in college. I took some, um, classes where I did a few, few things, but nothing crazy. But, um, I've been lucky to travel and, and really see what I would say are some of the world's like best museums. And so I've been to the Louvre, I don't know, four or five times. I've been to the Sistine Chapel. Um, I've been to the Guggenheim in Spain, um, in Bilbao. Um, I've been to the British Museum. I've been to like Gaudi's Parks and Sagrada Familia and a little closer to home, like um, uh, LACMA and um, the Getty and the Getty Villa. And so I've been really, really lucky to, to kind of moved through quite a, a lot of uh, high-profile museums. And when I was young, I was kind of drugged by family, and I, didn't, I wouldn't say I had an appreciation for it. But the more I approached art from technology as an educational tool, um, the more I, I really sort of began to appreciate the art and the way that um, technology could tell the story of, of the piece I was in front of, which was you know, unique and different for me. Mm-hmm. It's it's way cool going to some of these new museums where they they literally hand you an iPod or you download an app and then they use geofencing through the whole museum and you walk up to a painting and you look at it and it the your headphone just immediately starts telling you every single thing you could possibly want to know. That is the coolest shit ever. It's kind of a rule in my family that when you go to a museum, you absolutely try to go on every tour you can go on because having somebody tell you the story of the piece is so much better than you just walking around and reading the little placard and you always buy the audio guide. You always buy the audio guide because just it explaining it to you is, is really what takes something on the wall that you're just looking at and you have not too much idea of, you know, what it is and you're trying to make sense of it and really just, you know, gives it depth, which is so cool. Mm -hmm. It's so it's, it's, I mean, I remember going to the Getty when I was on a field trip, you know, when I was probably in middle school, and <laughs> I can only imagine how much more I would have observed, uh, absorbed, if the technology we have now existed when when we were there. Uh, and I mean, given that field trip was probably twenty years ago for me, or twenty five, um, I I know that if I had headphones. And somebody was talking to me the whole time, even though I had ADHD, like I wouldn't get bored. Like if I was looking at a painting and being told everything about it, that would have been awesome. That would have been so awesome. But oh well, at least that day is here now. That's, that, that, it, it excites me to know um, that, that not only will the information about the art that exists today uh, will be there for future generations, but that the stories are being told in the way that fits these generations also. I think that that's, 
um, one of the large effects that that technology is having on art is is just the visibility is visibility yeah very true very true so when we uh talk about art and and really how visual art is is changing um and the creation of new art today um what can you tell me aaron about just how tech is kind of influencing um the changes in, in the art industry hmm well i guess i have to ask a clarifying question um do you mean to ask its effect on how art is being created or on the actual industry, the market of art? Well, I guess let's tackle both of those questions, but let's tackle uh, the creation piece first. Perfect. Yeah. Um, you know, I never, I, <laughs> uh, in, in kind of preparing for this podcast, uh, I never had really thought about how technology influenced art. Um, I mean, in many, many ways, technology uh, is influenced by art. Um, you know, I think of uh, while I was in Cupertino and I went to Apple Park, the visitor center there, and I saw uh, the book, Johnny Ives' book of all the Apple products. And, uh, you know, just how the design of that is insane. Um, and, uh, you know, art is, art is just, is just any physical form of human expression. That's, that's really all art is. Um, so now technology is giving people a brand new way or a lot of new ways to express themselves. So naturally art has to progress that way also. Um, one of the moments that just blew my brain in half was when the uh, original iPad came out. And uh, uh, the, uh, what is the artist's name? Uh, he was an art. he was a comic book artist who came, who uh, went into an Apple store and bought an iPad. And he did X-Men for 25 years. Uh, Jim Lee. And in the Apple store, drew Wolverine on the iPad. And just watching this guy who's made a living as an artist in, in, within 30 seconds create a new piece of artwork in this entirely new technology was just insane. Now, of course, Wacoms and tablets all existed before then, but to, but to basically be using this new, this reinvented paper was just crazy. It was just crazy. Um, and I mean, 3D printing is, I mean, that, that shit hasn't changed the art world dramatically yet, but it absolutely will. I think right now it's sort of at an infancy, sort of see what it can do. Um, but once artists have the, the means to play with those, you're going to see some crazy shit. It's, it's going to be, it's going to be a really interesting next few decades. Uh, I think 3d printing is probably going to have, um, some massive influence on, on art, especially when, it, uh, because of, of, uh, the youth, uh, playing video games and stuff and getting into character design 
and using programs like ZBrush to do 3D sculpture. And if they can just print that sculpture out, and it's just, here it is, it's from my mind, uh, that, that's going to be, we're going to see some crazy, some crazy cool shit. Uh, uh, it, it's going to be nuts. Uh, I, I am curious to see um, how far it will go. Um, I do, I think of the first episode of Black Mirror, if you guys watched that. Did either of you watch Black Mirror? I've gone bits and pieces, but I haven't watched like the entirety of the season, So, I, which I probably didn't see the first episode. Uh, it's the one where the artist uh, basically uses technology, uses the social media to blackmail the prime minister uh, to uh, perform oh, wait, a I did see this one. act. Yeah. On a pig. No, yep. wait. Was it a yep. pig? Yep. Yeah. yeah, that's it. Okay, I remember this one. And the entire purpose was uh, he's an artist, and he just wanted to make him do it. That was it. And I mean, that that happens. I mean, fucking eating Tide Pods. <laughs> Nobody's actually eating Tide Pods, but somebody wanted to get people to eat Tide Pods as a, as a statement, and it worked uh, for the five or so idiots who actually thought it was a thing. Yeah, PSA, don't eat Tide Pods. Yeah, yeah, that's not a good idea. It's, uh, it's uh, poison. <laughs> you guys don't want to be labeled as the Tide Pod generation. It's not worth it. No, no. It's, I, I'd rather think of our, this generation coming up as a, uh, a highly underestimated generation that is going to use technology to really do some crazy shit. It's, it's going to be really exciting. So it's funny because you mentioned all these these examples of like, oh, yeah, you know, 3D printing, you know, is going to have a huge impact on the art world. And, you know, for me, like everything that was created was more of a utility, right, where it was like, hey, this is solving a problem for X. And that's why, you know, that was the, the mission statement of that product where that's in my mind, everything that I saw. But like you said, now it's it's now how do we use this for the creative aspect, right? Like getting the image that's in your mind out into the real world. And I think for, for my mind, at least that translates to, you know, something to fix a problem. Whereas, you know, for the more artistic, right. Or people who, you know, enjoy just creating art, it's more like, Hey, now I can finally have a new way to express myself in these ways. So I think that kind of just speaks to how different it is and why, you know, I never really got into, you know, the, the art side of things because like for me it just it never clicked i never had that aha moment where i was like yeah i have all this stuff in my head and i need to get it out in this medium so i think it's interesting how you bring that up and like you mentioned all these tools that, that have been out there I, I feel like they've been solving a problem not for for artists but for something else but then artists find a way to use that as a tool in their daily lives oh yeah i, co- I completely agree um i i think that a lot of artists start as having a problem that they need to solve and then it sort of just expands from there and that problem could be um you know it could be that they they really need to release this emotion and they don't know how um uh but it also could just be you know something like da vinci you know the vitruvian man is a is more of an analysis of biology than it is a piece of art. But if I was to see it, I would say that it's art. Um, so yeah, it's a, I, I think, um, 
uh, you know, I don't think that a lot of technologies would be where they are without an artist trying to fuck with it. Uh, it, you know, something would come up and be like, well, um, that's cool, but did you know I could do this? Like, have you ever turned, like, a like a Windex bottle into a water gun when you were a kid? You know, you, you took this totally useful tool, a utility, as you said, for solving a problem, and used your imagination and then expressed yourself with it. Um, so I think as the tools get more and more complex, the art will get more and more complex as well. Like, I could totally see the guy who created Bitcoin just deleting all of it. You know, just fuck it. Delete it all. It was a statement. I wanted to show everybody that money is meaningless. And they proved it. So, and it's all because of Bitcoin and the technology of of currency like that. So, uh, you know, I I can't wait (laughs) to see how crazy things get. It's just going to get more and more crazy. I feel like I I feel like I go way deep with everything I say. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, you basically just said like you know everyone who ever, ever created something, it's all an art piece that could like self destruct at any moment. But I, I think there's you know a lot of validity in that validity in that statement where everything that someone creates is art, like you said, right? It's it's some way of expression. So whereas I find my joy in creating uh, like programs and coding and things like that. That's my quote unquote art, right? Yeah. And oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. And like you said, making a statement or you know people creating things, you know, and having this impact, like it very much goes into kind of like what did what was the the experimental period where people you know were going through very experimental forms of art, and you know where a lot of people said there was very loose interpretation of what is art. Like there was a guy who um, crucified himself to the back of a Volkswagen Beetle and drove that that Volkswagen Beetle around a racetrack once and then backed it back into the garage. And that was his art piece, right? So art goes by many forms. And I know we didn't really, you know, put a, a defining or a limiting uh, term on art because it is so inclusive, right? Or there, there are no boundaries to what can be considered art. So I, I think it's, it's interesting how when, when you take it in that lens or look at it under that lens, everything is art. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I, it, it, uh, my definition of art is, is, is pretty much just any, any human expression of, uh, any human thought. So it's just an expression of imagination. Um, so that would be the only, there's two basically limiters on art then, which is, uh, human imagination and the tools of expressing that animation, that imagination. Um, now, as of now, I, I, I mean, human imagination to me seems somewhat fucking endless because I never know what my dreams are going to be at night. Um, I mean, we just, we literally just had uh, an eccentric billionaire shoot off a, a several hundred thousand dollar car into space, um, and <laughs> to me, that was pretty fucking artistic. Um, and it just goes to show how crazy our imagination is. Um, now with technology, technology is is strengthening uh, our ability to express uh, our imaginations. Uh, it could be in film, it could be digital art, uh, it, it could be a lot of different things. Uh, but uh, the one thing that I, I, that I think is true is that 
that and equally as important as it being a tool to express is that it's a tool to share and observe art. Uh, the fact that anybody on this planet practically can view billions of works of art from every other corner of the world uh, to view to see the imagination of other people and analyze it and talk about it with their peers is is just going to generate more and more conversation and then expand our imagination as fast as as the tools that we use to express it um, so to me it's 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 really interesting how the two correlate. Um, I wish my business <laughs> surrounded that a little bit more, and maybe if if we find ourselves in a, a fiscal position, we'll we'll explore it more. But um, yeah, the 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 two are, are very much so intertwined, and and it's it's I, I, as I've said probably ten times already. It's every day I look forward to what I'm going to see come up on any of my social media feeds surrounding art. You, you've been talking a little bit about some of the tools that, that really let you express yourself, um, Aaron, but I'm kind of curious, you, you mentioned the iPad and that kind of puts somewhat of a, uh, a marker on our timeline here, but before iPad, um, I know there was like Wacom tablets and, and stuff like that, and I didn't really ever use any of those, but did, did you ever really use any of those, um, and, and if so, what were the challenges of those? Because at least to me, when when I saw them, they looked um, incredibly complex and, and almost hard to use that you were detached from the, the medium itself. Um, and so I'm kind of curious what your thoughts were. I was, I was waiting for Adam to, to jump on you for the pronunciation. <laughs> for which pronunciation? Sorry, I was uh, asleep at the wheel here. Is it, is it Wacom or is it Wacom? Uh, you know what? So, okay, this is one where I have no <laughs> idea, man. So I put him in there, and I've heard it said both ways. I always say Wacom, but I heard Wacom way more. But if Wacom sounds like Whack-A-Mole, you know? It does. What is it? Is it Wacom? Oh, I have, I have no idea. Oh, my God. You could call me out for, like, not calling out pronunciation, but you don't even know what it's for us. <laughs> I'm, like, 90% sure that it's Wacom. Wacom, okay. All right. Well, let's go with the uh, Wacom because I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure that the com. Yeah. Anyway, communication, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. But and then like way, I'm like, I don't know. But there's no why. Yeah. There's no. There's no reason it should. I'm gonna go and I'm just gonna say Wacom. I'm gonna say that that's the way it should be. I'm sure there's a resource for this. <laughs> if only I knew how to search for it. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, anyway, Lou, I am so sorry. What was your question? <laughs> uh, so the, the I, I just think it's hilarious. We, we, about the tools. Right? Yeah, about the tools, about the tools. So, yeah, the question really is, um, so did you ever use one of the uh, Wacom tablets? And if you did, what challenges did that really present to you as, as someone as, who's, you know, is actually creating art? Because it seems so detached. Yeah, um, you know, I mean, I think I probably first used Wacom tablets in, see, I said Wacom, um, like in high school and uh, in college doing like Photoshop stuff. And, uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, putting a pencil to paper or a pen to paper or a brush to paper is is very, very uh, natural. Uh, it's, it's, it's the... 
the utensil becomes an extension of you, and you know when you move, it does. Um, the mouse, uh, you know, despite being as amazing of an invention and a tool as it was, uh, there was still a barrier. There was still a barrier between the artist and the tool, and you know, you move this thing. And that thing moves rather than just you just move yourself and it goes. Um, so the Wacom kind of just substituted for the mouse. And I mean, it does the exact same, does the exact same thing as a mouse, but really, uh, it just tried to decrease the layers of separation. Um, and I mean, that really didn't change until uh, some of the other tablets came out on the market. Uh, that had an actual screen on them. The iPad wasn't the first. There was a few. Um, there was a quite a few desktop computers that had similar uh, technologies or, or ideas, um, but the iPad just became so mainstream, and realistically, the hardware and the software just worked so well together that it it removed the technology part. You were you were touching it with a stylus or your pencil or your finger. And it was immediately creating it at the point that you were touching it. And that uh, hadn't been accomplished seamlessly until an iPad. Um, but yeah, Wacom's, at the time, I mean, it kicked ass using those things. Um, now, I don't think I really would as much. So funny to think that, you know, I mean, what? We're, we're talking about technology that is 10 years old or something like that. And, and, I mean, at the time, you're, as you're telling me this, you know, it kicked ass. You know, you know, big, big production studios in Hollywood or whatever, you know, artists, you know, for, you know, Disney and so on and so forth would be using stuff like this. And, and you know, then you, you think about the today is like, yeah, they're they're probably not even around that much. I mean, they're they're there still, but they're, there's so much that has moved so far in such a short amount of time. Um, and, and speaking about that that time scale, we went backwards a little bit towards the Wacom, and now going forward, you know, today there's there's things like Apple Pencil and and that are out there. And has this changed how you do art a lot, Adam? Or uh, I, I don't know if you do any art at all, Adam, or if it's just something you uh, you, you kind of. I know you said you're not very artistic, so do you do any coloring or anything, Adam? So. The, the coloring that we do in my house, uh, my kids are, are very much more artistic than I am. So I think for them, they enjoy kind of putting a pen to paper much more than I do. And it's, it's kind of funny, you know, Aaron, you talked about, and I kind of want to backtrack to that a little bit, is how there was, you know, the instant gratification of having a one-to-one relationship with where your finger is going and what's appearing on the screen. And once again, it kind of goes to, you know, the technology you know, getting out of the way, or as I like to say, getting friction fucking free. Um, we're, we're basically now, yes, it's, it's a one-to-one relation. So what you see is what you get, you know, ah, oh, WYSIWYG, they, they're throwing old like website, you know, building tech term out there. But uh, I, I think for me, that's when these applications became appealing, right. Or where I could see, like you said, them taking off in the mainstream where now everyone can have this thing in their hands where, you can draw on it and it will, you know, basically express what you are, are wanting to express without this layer of abstraction in between it. Um, so I, I, th- I think that's really cool to point out how having that feedback was really important. 
Um, and I think we'll talk about in a little bit if that is truly matching, you know, the experience of like putting a pen to, to paper or putting, you know, a brush to canvas or what have you. But to answer Lou's question, I, I've, I've run the gamut on styluses because if anything, I wanted to be able to diagram or draw something or do handwritten notes at any given time, because there are some things where typing is great and typing will get you really far and you can outline and you can do all sorts of stuff. But there are times where you just need to draw a diagram or draw out a problem. And I really wanted something to do that. So I've had, you know, MacBooks and I've had iPads and I've tried kind of all sorts of different styluses. So I used um, the, the pencil by 53 which was, um, they also had an app called Paper, right? And this was a, a carpenter's pencil. And it was kind of, you know, that, that that shape. And my dad was a school inspector, so he was very much into carpentry and had those pencils kind of lying all over the place. So there's part of a nostalgia factor for me there. And I always just liked how comfortable those were. And I've used an Apple Pencil for a while and just kind of with standard apps. But as far as like day-to-day, like there isn't much art that I do, but when I do pick up a tablet like to write notes on, the Apple Pencil has been the the one that I've kind of had the most affinity to where I was like, okay, well, this makes sense and this feels good. Um, but really, the only thing I look for in mine is palm, de- palm detection because I'm just writing. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not drawing, so it's, I'm not the best to ask this question, but I hope that kind of answered it, Lou. I don't know. Okay. Well, I just wanted to kind of get an idea of mainly what you're doing with the the not-so-very-artistic capabilities you have. So, uh, writing notes, <laughs> drawing <laughs> like diagrams, drawing squares and circles and lines that connect them. So you're doodling stick figures. <laughs> Adam's doodling stick figures. And, uh, Aaron, what are you doing with Apple pencil? Who said I have an Apple pencil? Yeah, no one did. Oh, do you have an Apple pencil? Oh, I'm just, I'm just fucking with you. I definitely do use an Apple. You're pencil. like, of course I, I have an Apple pencil. <laughs> I definitely do. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Son of a bitch. I need to stop myself from being like Adam. Oh, you don't have to. I mean, like, it's fine. <laughs> I mean, you're just fooling me. You're trolling me the whole time because I'm like, really? You don't have one? <laughs> oh, I, I do. Um, yeah, I... Uh, but, you know, I, I... I've never really done a lot with digital art. Um, I primarily... Well... A digital art in the sense of drawing or painting digitally. I did a lot of video production, and that's kind of where my background was in the arts with, with computers. Um, but I do use the Apple Pencil on a, on a, on a big-ass big iPad Pro, and um, I like Procreate. Procreate's a really good app. Uh, it, it makes me feel like I actually have talent when I finish something on it. <laughs> um and uh they're just great tools they work really smoothly even uh, i use the notes app that's native to ios uh for sketches it it works excellent it it just it that's that's what i use they're they're both really great although i will say paper is excellent also paper is a good one so I can say I actually don't I haven't used paper and I haven't you I have procreate but I don't say I'd use it I think it's above my uh my intellect in terms of uh artistic ability it's it's kind of a daunting program if you ask me um or or app I should say uh but mainly what I use my apple pencil for um and I'm sure you guys are semi familiar with this is the um 
they have those like coloring book apps, um, like adult coloring book. And so if I really want to like zone out, I will use the Apple pencil to, uh, I use it for notes, but I definitely use it to just color. And sometimes it'll be an hour of coloring and other times it's five minutes, but are these the ones where it's like, you can't color outside the lines. It just gives you a way to make a bunch of different, like different colors or, do you turn it on the mode where you can color outside the lines? No, I, I turn it on the mode where you can color outside the lines if you want to. Um, but yeah, I know what you're talking about where you, they have like, like, um, like certain settings for like, if you want to be a crazy person, you know, color all over the place and, and color vigorously and don't worry. It won't, uh, it won't go outside the lines. No, I, I, I usually am kind of detailed and with, I mean, granted with the iPad, you can zoom in to like a crazy, amount and so most of the very detailed ones i've done have taken me like you know two or three like s- sessions to sit down and, and work on something and each time's a half hour an hour of work so but um i uh, i don't know maybe if i if i uh i'll dig up an old one if i uh, can find one and and throw it in the show notes so yeah my my kids love those uh apps like where you can just like tap to fill in you know it's almost like the the paint bucket and ms paint right where you're just kind of filling different different sections with different colors. My kids love doing that on um, on a tablet. Like that's it is kind of like a a zone out and you know not think about something. You know, they're, I'm sure they're you know deciding color schemes and this and that. But I, I can definitely say that Lake is the one that they're on right now, and that's definitely the app that gets used a lot on our iPads. Nice coloring book apps are way too fun. <laughs> They're, I'm 100% on board with, with coloring book apps. You know, back in my day, you had to buy a coloring book and you only got one chance to color that thing. Yeah, this shit was called Paint by Numbers and you got the little, you got the little plastic watercolor paints <laughs> that opened up, you remember? And then by like, after using it for like two hours, everything is fucking purple. <laughs> everything is, every color is purple now. Um, <laughs> I remember in school we would get those, right? And they have like the community set, you know, that you get. So you'd always like just yep. <laughs> keep your fingers crossed that you didn't get some shitty ass one where like all of one color was gone or all the colors were all mixed together in purple or yeah. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you'd be like the lucky kid who get the fresh one. You're like, oh man, I'm gonna keep this pristine, and then you still end up fucking it up by the end of the the thirty minute coloring session. Mm-hmm. I think that those were just a test. I think that those were a test. Like the teachers were taking them out, out afterwards, like just to grade you and like, all right, this kid's going to go far. Oh, look at this one. He he didn't mix up any of the colors. He's going to be president someday. Or she, she's going to be president someday. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I, I can see it being something like that. I totally It's turned can. into like some Ender's Game shit, you know, like where it's like they're training all these kids to, you know, be the perfect soldiers by not fucking up their Crayola watercolor paint set. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I have no clue what Ender's Game is. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna move us right along uh, in my normal fashion. Uh, so moving on to a little bit more about uh, education and and consumption of art in general. Um, I know Adam, you said you tend to think that um, there are apps that for drawing that it don't really give you the the essence of drawing. Um, that you would if you were doing it in a more tactile way with actual, you know, paper and pen or something like that. Um, you want to expand a little bit more on that? 
Well, my question was, so you, you had in the notes, and this is what I put the, the question was like, it says apps allow for education. So is, are you talking about the education of art or are you talking about more of your education of like existing art or how to create art? Like what did you mean by apps allow for education? Well, so I kind of put that in there as a, as a twofold. Um, I see you took it as more, um, you know, the, the education of uh, the creation of the art. Um, but I, I also think it's got a valid point on, on the opposite side around the, um, consumption of the art and the education behind it. And we kind of briefly talked about, you know, the audio guides and stuff like that, that allow for, um, the education, um, and, you know, your iPhone and iBeacon and, and technologies like that are allowing, um, some of that stuff to just kind of come to life and show you videos and all sorts of stuff that way. But, I'm, I'm kind of curious now that you put this in there because you took it totally differently than I was expecting, which is totally fine. Uh, but you said that it's uh, it's not as nice as the tactile, uh, you know, feedback that you would normally get. So I'm, I'm curious, what do you what do you mean by that? So, the, yeah, the way I took it was, as Aaron kind of mentioned, you know, paint by numbers. So I, I think that there's there's lots of ways like or apps out there that are like how to draw whatever, like how to draw a Pikachu, how to draw a you know, Charmander, you can tell that we're playing Pokemon in my house, you know, as uh, as our game right now, because that's all I can come up with for examples of things to draw. But, but yeah, so I, I don't know, art always felt like a very, a very analog um, medium for me, right? Especially like painting, drawing, this and that, right? And we spent all this time talking about uh, tablets and how the biggest hurdle was getting a one-to-one relation between what you're doing and what you're seeing. Whereas something, you know, pencil, like physical pencil, paper, brush, you know, canvas, whatever it is, you are getting that one-to-one feedback. And there's something to be said about, you know, the feel of this or the feel of that. And it goes to the whole analog digital argument. And I think when you're learning something, and this is, you know, my my opinion was, I, I think that technology will get you to a point, right? Where it's like, hey, you know, proof of concept, you know, you want to mess around and color outside the lines. Like this is something that will that will allow you to do that. Fuck up as much as you want, throw it all away. And there's no waste. There's It's more cost effective, whatever. But I think when you actually go to create something, and I don't know if Aaron can speak more to this, but I, I would assume that it would be, it would be more valuable. It's a totally different experience to, you know, actually be drawing something in the physical realm rather than the digital realm. So that's, that was my opinion is I still thought the analog side kind of was favored over the digital side in this aspect of the learning or the experience. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to jump in there and, and tell you that I, I agree with you completely. Um, <clears throat> one of the things that I, I actually think that kids learning uh, to uh, learning to be artistic, which I mean, not every kid's artistic. That's okay. It's not a bad thing. But if they're going to take an art class, I, I'm I'm fairly, I would say, almost against using uh, technology to do that uh, for the reasons you just said. Um, I think there's an enormous difference between talent and skill. Um, whereas you know, uh, talent is natural, and you 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 can just do things, and it's 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 in you. Whereas skill can be learned um, and and developed over time, uh, you know, like you said, you can you can develop the skill of being able to draw Pikachu, but you may not have the talent to create an entirely new Pokemon, you know. 
to draw one that's its own. Um, and I think that kids, uh, that art is very valuable to kids because it's the, if you're putting a pencil to paper or a paintbrush to, to canvas or trying to sculpt something, if you cannot get what's in your head out and put it on that paper, or it's not coming out the way that you want it to, um, that is almost a first lesson to let you know that the world is not uh, is not the way you think it is. You know, you can have this image in your head of what you want to paint, and you have to put it on the canvas, and you just fucking can't. It just won't come out. That is one of the most frustrating experiences for any artist or an author who has writer's block. And I think that as you develop as an artist, those moments are what determine whether or not you're, uh, you know, by all means, an artist, an actual artist. If you don't get over those frustrations and keep trying, um, then you give up and you and you don't do it anymore. Um, something that's really funny is I think of DeviantArt.com versus YouGallery.com, whereas DeviantArt is almost all digital. There's 25 million members on DeviantArt, and, like, 99% of it is the fucking same. And it's a lot of really, really skilled people, but they're just not artistic. I mean, I I cannot differentiate any single one of the 50 million different anime digital creations on DeviantArt. YouGallery is actual is is real tactile art. It's it's original fine art, um, and that is somebody who pulled their brain out and put it on a canvas and said, "This is the expression I was trying to get." They didn't spend time going through the different searches of the help menu to figure out how this tool does what. And it's like, yeah, you learned that, but what did you create uh, when when you get somebody though? who combines their skill with their talent, that's when you have your fucking Da Vinci's, you know, that's when you have your Warhol's. Um, that's when you get people that blow your fucking brain in half is when you get somebody who's equally as talented as they are skilled, you, you get something, something crazy. Um, and I don't think you can develop the talent, uh, unless you've faced the frustration of, of going analog and and playing and uh and getting frustrated with yourself and getting mad at yourself i mean van gogh fucking cut his own ear off um or i think that's probably just a myth but um either way those those sort of adventures really let you test yourself and and see where you actually want to go and what you want to be um so i think for educational purposes um I, I, I don't think technology uh, should be involved early. I think it should come up later, um, you know, maybe end of high school, college, um, but early on in child's, de- in, in child's development when they're exploring the arts, they really do have to get that shitty watercolor paint set out and, and fucking do it. And if they get mad and they get frustrated, uh, let them push through. Or help them push through, or you know, give them positive reinforcement, give them value, give them uh, critical feedback that can be used. Um, 
to change and express uh, themselves in different ways in the future. Um, but with technology, I really do think it has to stay out until it can it can be brought up later. Uh, I think if technology is brought in too soon, uh, they will focus on the importance of skill over talent, and I think that can make some some pretty some pretty shitty art in the future. You know, I think of Transformers versus Lord of the Rings in terms of special effects. The special effects in Transformers are monumentally better at, in terms of how they look. They look fucking real. Um, those are very skilled animators. But when I look at Lord of the Rings, which I can tell things are fake, and I and I know that, but it's fucking beautiful to look at, and every single thing is unique, I know that the people making that are maybe not as skilled, but I believe I, I view them as being more artistic and more talented. And I think that maybe it's just because they focus on the art side as opposed to the skill side. Um, so uh, I think to, uh, uh, the role of art and education, uh, I think it can do without technology for at least a few years. I think uh, I, I think that's that's a great you know interpretation. It's nice to know like. Because I mean, like my kids, you know, like I've always had had them, you know, draw something on paper. Like they, there are drawings all over the place. We have an entire like cabinet that's just filled with paper and pencils and markers and you know, you name it, it's there. And uh, I, they, I know they love taking that stuff out and drawing on it much more than they do like drawing something on an iPad. Because once it's on the iPad, like you said, yeah, it's it's a skill, right? Like you can refine that. And I think you know your example of saying like, hey, look at Deviant Art, and then look at you gallery and that right there like i just pulled up you know both those web pages side by side as you were talking about it and that really puts your whole argument into perspective right where you can look at one side and say like this is all clearly just manufactured right like you said this is just mastery of a skill you know it's not it's not artistic in in the way that you would traditionally think right it's like hey these are people who made a perfect recreation of whatever right but it's just a copy and the other side is this is, you know, something that they had in their head or something that they saw and they put their own spin on it, right? They put their own flavor to it. They they expressed it in their way. And I think that's a, a very important distinction. So I think we should just include those two websites in the in the show notes because right there, like as you were going through your argument, I just kept referring back to those, just looking back and forth. And you can you can see to your point why the importance, you know, kind of lies on the analog side of things. Yeah, and I mean the the skill does have to be there, um, and not just for um, creating art. Um, and I mean, I'm kind of I'll kind of segue us a little bit, um, but preserving it as well. Um, you know, you you mentioned all your kids' scans uh, or your all your kids' drawings. I mean, I hope you're scanning them. You know, scan every single one of those, save it, um, because now uh, not only can technology be used to create art but could be also be used to save it for the future um and i think there's a lot of shit going on there that's that's really getting crazy like um uh like now they can use uh, these insanely sensitive 3d scanners on paintings and they're using it to detect forgeries because not only can they detect exactly how high a brushstroke is down to the fucking nanometer, a nearly atomic level, um, but they can use it to see every sort of uh, different color frequencies across an entire painting. So they know that if it's a real or if it's forgery. And also that they can use to, to fucking 3D print. 
and you can you can literally get a breaststroke for breaststroke copy of uh, of a Van Gogh because uh, his his textures are what make his shit really crazy in person. Um, you can get a breaststroke for breaststroke copy of an actual Van Gogh and 3D print it, and it's a damn near perfect match. And it would only be able to be differentiated from forgery by using some really complex uh, uh, spectrum analysis of color to see if there's another painting underneath it, like with most of his canvases. Um, so it's going to be really, really interesting over the next couple of years as we sort of digitize uh, all the existing art uh, and and any, of course, uh, IRL art. Uh, so it's, it's I really hope that you're doing that. You better be scanning that that shit. Yeah, of course we are. Yes. So and that was kind of, you know, the preservation, which I know we're going to get into in a little bit here, but I was really kind of intrigued by the the scanner technology you mentioned because I wasn't aware of things that, you know, are scanning, you know, actual like 3D textures because that makes total sense, right? You know, mm-hmm. you take a an original work of art and it's like, how do you know that this is that work of art? And this is a very, you know, down to the, you know, like you said, the nanometer way to tell this is the exact brushstroke that was made. But uh, to answer your question, absolutely. We're scanning all of the the kids artwork and uh, actually have Yay. to upgrade our scanners uh, in the future here because like we still have like a backlog of stuff that needs to get scanned. And we were kind of doing it just before with like pictures and lower quality, but it's like, okay, well then we'd have some that were like really big. So it was really hard to get a scan just of that. Right. So we'd have to do it in pieces. So we're looking at ways to continue that because, yeah, I mean, it's tough to keep all your stuff. Right now, um, all of our kids have a, a three three inch three ring binder with a bunch of sheet protectors in it. That's kind of like their just art gallery holding, you know, section. So as they finish something that they want to, you know, keep or they want us to scan later, they put it in this uh, in the sheet protector in this big notebook, and they each have their own. So they've decorated the outsides of them and done everything there, and they just we'll make art throughout the day and they'll go put that in the, in their little notebook or their binder. And, you know, when it gets full, then it's time to take all this stuff out, scan it, and then put that, you know, that whole binder just in an archive somewhere or in a box or in, you know, we have like all the storage in the garage, so we'll toss it in there. But that's kind of one of the things, right? It's like, I still have a, um, a, a piece that I made in kindergarten where it was basically, you were supposed to make a penguin out of construction paper but without cutting it you had to rip all of it you know by hand <laughs> so i ripped it all by hand and my penguin was was chosen as one of the best penguins in the class right so they put it up on you know on the wall and like the 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 assembly room you know they put it up up in the wall there and then they gave it a little ribbon so uh i was so happy with that when i was a kid that my grandma actually put it in a frame. So she put it in a frame along with the ribbon. So I still have this actually in the garage in one of like the totes that we have, which is like a piece of art that I had from when I was a kid, just framed in glass, you know, just, and I can just go back to that time in my head anytime because I was so proud of that art and like, it's kind of kept with me. So I want to make sure my kids also have that, you know, for something that they're really proud of. So yeah, we're, we're making sure we keep all of their, their works of art because you know they're they're proud of it it's something they created it's something that came out of their head and like you said onto a piece of paper and it's like an extension of themselves so yeah we're not going to just like toss that or you know in in case of a fire or anything like that like we want to make sure we have stuff backed up so yeah that's awesome that's awesome that that's um that's one of the 
the projects uh, that our company is taking on. Um, you know, as we we're, we are going to be a, a platform through which artists can sell their work, um, but a massive undertaking that is a, a very important part of our project is preserving and archiving every single piece of artwork that um, comes through. And uh, so we're, it, it's, it's, uh, let's, let's quote Batman begins, not regular Batman. Um, but it's, a it's not what you say, you know, it's what you do that defines you. Right. And I think that art is the, is evidence, not only that we are here, but that we are capable of thinking and that we are capable of expressing ourselves. Good Batman quote. Batman begins. Rachel Dawes, Katie Holmes, not 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 the best, you know, character, you know, but <laughs> that quote itself is is very good. So Katie Holmes is another one, like Amanda Seyfried. There's something about her that I feel nauseous when I see her face. It could just be the Scientology. It really could be. <laughs> well, you talk about some crazy shit, right? Like, um, I I don't know. Did she get into it as much with uh with Tom Cruise? Is that was that a thing? I thought that was like a dividing part in their relationship. Yeah, I feel like that's probably why they broke up. Yeah. Ah, well, they replaced her with Maggie Gyllenhaal, right? Or yeah. So we so we referenced Jake Gyllenhaal's movie, and we've referenced a Maggie Gyllenhaal movie. Was it like ten degrees of separation to Kevin Bacon or something like that? Right. So, <laughs> like how how many more do we have to go until we hit Kevin Bacon? Isn't isn't that the that the thing? <laughs> yeah. You could definitely do that with Gyllenhaals. Yeah, right? <laughs> Someone's been in a movie with one of the Gyllenhaals. I mean, like, we'll get there. Um, yeah, eventually. But yeah, like, <laughs> the, the archival of, of things and the preservation is um, is definitely something. And this is when, when I took my art history classes, it was something that they talked about was, like, you know, this this art is is precious in the sense of it's kind of outlined, and especially when we talk about, like, popular art, right, or we we've mentioned Van Gogh a bunch of times and Da Vinci a bunch of times and the art movements, right. When you'd have this big shift in how art was, was done um, or how traditional art was done and how new artists were, you know, coming up with ideas that are thought of as crazy at the time. Right. And that's the stuff that people kind of want to preserve is like, this is a way for us to, you know, obviously preserve our history, but a way for us to see how things progressed and how that timeline kind of played out. So I'm really intrigued by, like you said, the preservation of everything because it's something that I'm trying to go through, right, with my kids' stuff. But I can only imagine how important it is on a scale of, with all the artists out there, right? Uh, who knows which is going to spur like the next quote unquote movement? You know that they'll study in art history, you know, 500 years from now, and will we have the tools in place to make sure that that is preserved and that all the records are intact? Uh, just to, I don't know, to kind of like foster the the next generation of artists. And I, I think it's so important to to point out too that sometimes we're so concerned with preserving the the piece of art itself, but even just the 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 subject of the art sometimes um if you do find mm-hmm. one of these, you know, artist that's the breakthrough artist um the subject is is so Im- Im- important to the education behind the piece i think sometimes um i was 
lucky enough to a couple years ago visit um, one of Monet's like lily gardens outside of uh, Paris, um, like where he lived in the in the house and everything, and and just to to actually see the gardens that he painted amongst was just I mean it's like it brings so much um, more depth to the, to the work that you then go back into the city and you see in, in all the museums, which was just awesome. Oh yeah. It's, it's super cool. So on a, we've been talking a lot about preservation, but I think, you know, uh, Adam, you pointed out something that, you know, with digital art in general, um, there, there comes up the idea of, you know, it's easy to duplicate anything that is digital. Um, and, and I know, Aaron, you mentioned this whole, like, um, you know, with these 3D scanning uh, machines, which I didn't know anything about either, that detecting counterfeits is a lot easier today. Um, but with digital, <laughs> that's a whole little, uh, that's a whole different thing, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, um, it, it, it kind of, I can't really think of a good analogy for it, but, um, you know, as the detection of forgery gets better, the forgeries get better. So, you know, we, I think that something that will happen and that will likely happen within the next decade is we'll probably hear some news report, uh, that is, you know, some painting that was auctioned off for, $200 $200 million as a, as an original, uh, as, as an original, and it's going to be discovered that it's fake and it's going to be a 3d printed piece. Uh, that's going to happen. And then it's going to turn into well, what art's real, which, which original art here is actually real. Um, so I think that it'll be really kind of crazy, um, to see a, a black market develop, of 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 original art that's not original it's gonna be it's gonna be kind of crazy um but uh, i think that the the upside of of really figuring out what people did and how they did it is worth it i think that creating the tools to to figure out exactly how they made paint and and what they used and and why uh, is a is a part of human history we have to conserve. Um, so even though the technology to analyze the artworks will get better, and so with it the counterfeiting side of it will get better. I think it's worth it. I think it's worth the risk. And like you said, everything's kind of like that calculated risk, right? You know, it's like. As the tools get better, we know it's going to make this easier. So how do we combat that? Or how do we take that into account as we're, you know, developing these safeguards or these ways to to verify digital items? And it's good that people are having that mentality going in, right? Because it's it's much harder to be reactionary to something than it is to be proactive. Um, but to my point in here, when I put in the easy duplication, I was speaking purely of of digital art, right? So when we talk about something digital, right? You can watermark it, you can do whatever, you can take a, you know, check some of the file, but when it's digital, you can take a bit for bit recreation of something pretty much, you know, instantaneously nowadays and maybe change a 10%, you know, or move a couple things around, but it's so much easier to change something that's digital because 
it, it is just you know ones and zeros. It, it is binary. It is the the valences or the valences uh, uh, at the Hilton Hotel. You know. Mm-hmm. I will. I yeah. will just change your ones and zeros around a little bit, and now they're they're mine. You know, it's. I mean, you, you got to think at that that crazy small level that you know it really doesn't take a whole lot. Um, you know, when you're when you're dealing with something digital that. We could just change a, a spec, you know, of something digital, and it's technically a different, you know, uh, file or you know, item. Yeah, yeah, and you know what? As, thinking of it that way too, um, um, you know, my my business, my my company is is around original art, a fine art. Um, we we're I don't think we're gonna do too much for digital art. Um right off the bat. I'm sure we will eventually. But um, one of the things that's so uh, fucked up because of the easy duplication, like you're pointing out, Adam, is both of you guys are pointing out, um, is that it's going to be really hard to establish um, uh, real uh, ownership of something, you know, you could see the most amazing piece of digital artwork you've ever seen in your life, and you may never know who actually created it, because the person who uh, published it and got the most likes and paid their, uh, you know, Facebook ad booster is the one who's getting the credit, you know, not the actual artist. And I think that that will limit the ability of really good artists to get the exposure and attention and money that they deserve. Um, so I think that digital artists, uh, it, it's it's going to be really hard for uh, somebody with immense digital artistry to, to really make a living uh, because I think that a lot of their thunder can be stolen. You know, I think of even just logo and graphic design. That shit is so intense and can be so difficult but uh you know you can get one for five dollars on fiverr you know fiverr.com and you can roll up and i need a company logo okay here's five bucks and that person who designed your logo could be the next da vinci but they're never going to get the exposure because they're not they just anybody can duplicate anything they do um or just warp it a little bit you know uh so I, there's not a lot of protection there, and I think that artists who um, who love it because they love expressing themselves uh, need to get away from digital if they can. They can they can still do it and have it as a great hobby, of course, but nothing can disprove that piece of that that painting in front of you. you know, that can't be disproven, but code can. So I do think that. Digital artists these days really need to evaluate if they're doing it for the art or if they're just doing it uh, because they like it, you know, which I think are a little bit different. It's just a level of meaning. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy to, uh, to, to see where, um, where that kind of stuff can go. Uh, and you're, you guys are totally right that it's just it's too easy. It's too easy to steal. Way too easy. Yeah, it's it's definitely incredibly easy. So I know you've kind of danced around it a little bit, and uh, but your your company. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about the company and uh, and the the mission of the company? Hey, before we get into that, like you know, it's funny you mentioned you know how easy it is to counterfeit and like how do we solve this problem, right? 
we did spend an episode talking about, you know, DRM and music and if it was a good thing, right? And how do we ensure that, you know, this work that this person created, these people are getting credit for it. So do you foresee like an art DRM in the future where it's like you bought this piece by this artist, right? And it can only be used on this platform and it can only be used in this section. Like, (laughs) is that where we're heading or do you foresee it going somewhere else? And I know you kind of mentioned like, hey, digital artists, you know, it's going to be hard for you to to kind of make a living out there. Uh, Whereas physical, yeah, physical is physical, right? Like you buy a CD in a place, you can't take that CD anywhere else, or you can try to make duplicates of it, but it's illegal. And how do we crack down that? Will there be DRM for art? Yeah, I I think that there, there will have to be at some point. Uh, uh, I think it just depends on how big the market gets and uh, how uh, the legal system views different rights. Uh, you know, one of the things that was really important uh, in our mission as we develop uh, and work with our legal team is is how do we make sure that, yes, somebody is buying an original oil painting, but the artist maintains the rights to the use of that image, which is totally different than owning it. Um, so it's, it's, it's going to be very weird to see how it how it expands uh and and how they go about protecting themselves because nobody else is going to protect them it's it's just on themselves Um, yeah i don't i don't really have too much input on that it's just i know that it's (laughs) it's gonna need it's gonna need some looking at that's for sure yeah and and that was kind of my my question is like all right we have drm for this and we've argued about drm even existing you know for so long and here we have this new problem coming around. And it's like, all right, well, what's the easiest way to fix this? And it's like, immediately we can say like, well, DRM sounds like a way that we can fix this. And then kind of run into the whole, the whole same set of issues, right? Where people can circumvent it still. And is this, you know, how people really want to consume the art. And like you said, licensing and use uh, of an image versus the original piece. And yeah, it sounds like there's a bunch of crazy things going on, but it sounds like, you know, these are all questions that, you're potentially, you know, looking at or have on the, you know, on the blackboard or the whiteboard somewhere like, Hey, this is, you know, a problem we'll have to solve at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's definitely one of the things on the very top of our priority list. <laughs> um, yeah. So what do you want to know? What can I, what can I tell you about, tell you about arteries? Yeah, so uh, I mean, I guess first you've kind of outlined the uh, the mission uh, of the the company, but it, if you wouldn't mind, just kind of rehash that for me. Um, it, we've kind of just I feel like sprinkled it around a little bit, but you want to you want to kind of make that a little more concise. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, Arteries uh, is the name of our company. Um, it's a uh, it's technically Arteries Auctions. Uh, but we're working on the DBA, so hopefully it can just be truncated to arteries. Um, you know, our our mission is is to eliminate the term "starving artist." That is that is our goal. Uh, so many times, uh, I can remember the tropes when I was a kid and I was studying art. You know, my parents would say, well, you know, you have to study science too because you don't want to be a starving artist. Um, and, you know, all these 
artists die broke and they die a pauper because their art ne- isn't necessarily taken seriously while they were alive or um, people just didn't see the value in it. Uh, or you could have two people who paint identical paintings, but uh, one of them can speak to it better and that's the one who sells their art and the other one doesn't, even though they created an equal product. Um, so our goal uh, is to is plain and simple get artists more money for their work um the 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 biggest problem that exists with the art market is that it hasn't changed in 500 fucking years uh it is you know you have an artist who creates a painting and they try and sell it uh, eventually, galleries came all into the mix, and dealers, and commissions, and agents, and it has pretty much stayed that fucking way since uh, since the 16th century. Um, and that shit doesn't work anymore. Um, there's, it's not okay uh, in in the new economy or just the world we live in to say uh, that this artist is worth nothing and that artist is worth uh, millions. It, it's, it's just, it's bullshit. There's all of the, the money that exists in the art market only exists to feed dealers and feed galleries. Uh, they don't create the artwork. They hardly market it. Otherwise, you know, people go to art shows just as much as they go to big concerts. Um, so the there's a very small niche of people that are buying art that are super wealthy, um, and uh, there's an incredibly small number of artists that are making any of that money. Um, and the evidence of how fucking corrupt it all is is the fact that the average commission or a dealer, or an agent, or a gallery, is anywhere from 40 to 60%. And it is mind-numbing to me to think that the person who found the person who could, aff- who could buy a piece of art is getting 60%. Yeah, I just want to say, like, holy fuck. Fuck, I had no idea the number was anywhere near that. It's insane. That is just mind-blowing to me. Like you just you just dropped a bomb on my head. <laughs> it's it it's completely nuts. And I've had uh the luck of meeting a couple of professional artists in my in my life. I can say that I've met uh you know, aside from comic book illustrators, which I've met a few, um but I've met two painters who made a living as painters. And one of them, uh, I was talking to about this concept right when the company was in development. And she was like, the thing about this that, that is so helpful is that her dealer only takes one out of every 30 or 40 paintings that she creates because it's the one that her dealer thinks she can market to the right clients. And 
uh, I can't imagine what kind of stress that would put on somebody's life to think, okay, I'm a painter for a living, and I paint 50 fucking paintings over the course of a year, and my dealer says, oh, sorry, you're not getting paid this year because I can't market any of your work. And that's just shitty. Um, And so the people that are making the money in the market as it exists today are not the artists, and the people that are getting the art who are buying the product are a very small, you know, top 1%. And that doesn't work uh, anymore, at least not for me. I, I, I view it as warfare. Uh, I think that anybody who is passionate about creating art should have a platform on which to sell it uh, in, a, in such a way that they can actually afford or, or, or provide themselves with a supplemental income. Um, and that was kind of one of the biggest problems that we had to solve while we developed our platform was how the hell do you um, increase the artist's income while at the exact same time decrease the buyer's expense because it's a it's kind of a, a a conundrum you find yourself in is that the artists who are successful and can make a living off of it today only can because a very small group of millionaires and billionaires are buying it so how do we make it so uh, a guy working a minimum wage job could maybe buy a piece of art, an actual piece of fine art, an original artwork for cheap, but also provide a living income for the artist. That was the riddle that we set out to solve, uh, which which we 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 did twice. Um, the first time we did, we found out it was completely illegal, <laughs> and uh, so we had to scrap that. Um, it's always fun when you work on developing a business for six months and you go to a lawyer and they're like, yeah, you can't do this. This is completely illegal. And that's exactly what happened to us the first time. Um, Ouch. And um, then we spent a few more months uh, refining and um, we've finally found our way. Um, I can't go into the specifics, uh, unfortunately, uh, just because uh, we're in, we're in development. We're building right now. uh, And, uh, I don't want to share too much, but I can say that um, it it it's it's going to work, and uh, you know a massive part of the economy we live in now, with wages that are not increasing, and trades that are being eliminated by technological advancement. Uh, you know the the idea of oh you have a job that makes you enough money you can live that doesn't exist for the vast majority of people in the United States um which is why things like Uber and Lyft and Kickstarter and GoFundMe and Patreon it's the why those exist um and arteries is is kind of an Uber for artists in in that sense, in, in that somebody who wants to make money with their artwork will be able to, and it's it's just going to be dependent on 
um, how much they put out, uh, how much they can gather attention on social media uh, and and use it to their advantage. And if they if they do that, they can uh, make a, a really damn good amount of money. Um, we sort of did a, a a beta test of our system with a tattoo artist. Um, we we told him about it and 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 shared. We disclosed him on on how it would work. And I'm not kidding you when I say that that this artist believes that he will be able to sell his sketchbook drawings for hundreds of dollars for each each page because he knows how to capitalize on the social media following that he has of about 10,000 people. Um, and that's what we really wanted to do was integrate the different APIs from, from all the social media so that everything's connected. Um, and that's been really challenging. Um, but yeah, we, we just really want to provide uh, a shopping and a selling experience for art that, that hasn't existed um, and create a platform that people can use to drive income and be artists because you know you're you're not going to work at a bank anymore they're going to fire all the tellers and put in atms and they're you're not going to work at a restaurant they're going to fire all them and you're going to order off an ipad uh you know they're they're just eliminating all of that so we can put people who are passionate about art into a place where they can just be an artist for their living then i'll know that that we've done it right and and that's the entire goal um a nice side effect of it is it creates a really good community um it's just it's a great community and it's a community willing to support one another um i had my artwork on display at a gallery and uh a number of years ago and i didn't sell a single fucking painting (laughs) um but the gallery charged five dollars to get in and 300 people came. Uh, so I know that if 300 people are willing to pay $5 uh, to see my work, and I want a piece of that. And I didn't get any. Um, so I know the community is there to support. I know the artists are out there. And right now, it's just a matter of handling the technology and and paying to build it. <laughs> That's one of the fun parts, is while we're while we're uh, gathering investors right now we have we have one investor um who's already put up money and um we're looking for a couple more uh web development to write code for something that has never existed before is is expensive um but we're getting it and we're constantly getting interest and and just a matter of time really and once we do that and we completely disrupt the archaic way the art market has worked before, um, we're going to see some really cool shit. We're going to see some really fucking cool shit. And we're going to archive it and save it and share it and celebrate it. And uh, it's it's really exciting. Um, and that's where Arteries got its name. Arteries is um, A-R-T-A-R-Y-S, as in um, art in the front. And ARYS is a gathering place. So its name is Gathering Place for Art. And 
Not to mention the stupid, stupid homonym of arteries in that it's what flows through our veins, you know, and keeps us alive. Um, so it's, it's coming along. Uh, we uh, are making a statement ourselves. Yeah. So it, it sounds like you guys want, kind of want to be the, the platform for any artist who wants to get their work out there for them to jump off of, right? Like you're kind of providing them a, a way to kind of get out of all the headache of having to deal with the corrupt side of, you know, the business that's been there for a long time and instead have them go through a, a kind of a place where they're the focal point, right? Or their interests are kind of what matters, not, let's say, corporate, you know, money line pockets, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. And um, I the our... You know, an artist can go on and, and of course, upload a painting that they've done and list it for sale and sell it and all of that good stuff. Um, What we've done is created uh, an entirely new method of e-commerce, of a way to buy something. And the way we've done that is for artists is insanely valuable. Um, so that's, uh, I really wish I could just be like, here it is. It's so great. Go look at it. Um, but hopefully within the next couple of months, we'll, we'll actually outline exactly how it works and put it on the website. Yeah. I, I think that would be great. And you know, I I know you can't talk about too much and I know it's hard to talk about something, especially (laughs) like you said, when you're so passionate about, you know, this, what what you've built and you know what you're building and what you're developing and to kind of have this vision you know you want to share it with the world and (laughs) you're at a point right now where you kind of have to like you know like hold a little bit back so i totally understand that but like i would love to see when this you know goes goes live and we'll definitely include any links that you want to uh include in our show notes and pass that along to you know listeners because I, i know there's tons of creative people out there right and I'm sure this is a question that all of them have, right? Like you said, you've, you've talked with a bunch of different artists, you know, professional artists, amateur artists, what have you. And you kind of run the gamut on this stuff. And like you said, everything starts with, you know, a problem. And it's like, how do we solve this problem? And it sounds like you guys have found a, a really a great way to do it. And it'll be really exciting to see like when that comes, you know, full circle. Yeah. I'm, uh, right now, uh, anybody can go to arteries.com. Uh, and uh, just kind of look at what our mission is. Um, we have Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr, all of those. Just look for arteries, and it's A-R-T-A-R-Y-S. Um, and right now we're just kind of sharing art stuff that we like and, and kind of gathering. You know, we want artistic-minded people in our corner uh, once we launch the e-commerce side. Um and we just want to make uh, as much money as possible for every fucking artist we find. Uh, if a kid goes to his parents and says, Mom, Dad, I want to be an artist, uh, their response in my future will be, um, that sounds great. You know, let's, let's go for it and do it. And we'll set up an Arteries account and we'll get you going. Um, that's, that's what I want to hear. 
I, I just, it sickens me that we would ever tell somebody, especially somebody younger, that they shouldn't express themselves and share their imagination just because it won't make them a living. And that, to me, sucks. I think that as a, as a species, we're past that. Uh, we've evolved to the point where we don't have to work, as, as people would say. Um, but it, it, that's the goal, is, is really, let's, let's fucking get out of this, the, that industrial bullshit where you go to work and you come home and that's it. You want to be an artist? Be a fucking artist. I was going to say, you got to make enough money to uh, buy some of those Austin tacos. <laughs> God. So the, the most, I'm from Southern California. I grew up in Southern California. And in the morning, something you can do in Southern California is get a breakfast burrito. And they're delicious. And I moved to Austin, and everybody says, what the fuck is a breakfast burrito? You need to get breakfast tacos. And that is all you hear everywhere. If you say breakfast burrito, people will look at you like you have the measles. If you say, I'm going to go get a breakfast taco, people are like, ooh, where? Tell me where. you got to try breakfast tacos from Torchies, which, by the way, are the best breakfast tacos, if you're ever out here. <laughs> um, but it just blows my mind. It is the most inconvenient thing on I can imagine to eat for breakfast is a fucking taco. Wait, so are they? Are they you said they're good tacos, though, right? I mean, I agree oh, with you. Delicious. Like, the burrito is a perfect container for all of the breakfast ingredients, right? Because it is pretty much self-contained. Like, there's not much that can fall out of the burrito because you're eating the container as it goes. A taco, tacos are inherently messy, right? Like, you are going to get some somewhere, and. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's something about breakfast burritos, right? Yes, breakfast burritos I'm, in Southern California are everywhere. And they're I'm, only $3. And they're delicious. And they're just filled with eggs and ham and bacon and cheese and potatoes. And yeah, it's awesome. Pour some salsa on there. You, you've got yourself breakfast. But I don't know. A taco would get everywhere. How do you eat a taco in the car? I could eat a breakfast burrito in the car while driving. A PSA, don't eat while driving. It's not safe to do. But I could do it. And a taco, I just feel like if I was going to a meeting... And I hadn't had breakfast, and someone said, oh, I'll just drive through said Mexican food restaurant joint and get a breakfast taco. I feel like when I show up to that meeting, there's going to be some form of cheese, salsa, eggs, whatever on my attire. And I'm going to have to explain, I was super hungry. I had to go nom on some breakfast tacos. Yeah, there's the the, the tacos thing. Like, I, I get it. But at the same time, I feel like there's a degree to which I have to be awake that is much more awake to actually consume a taco without it falling apart all over the place. And, and, and Adam, I think you put it like perfectly. Like it's, it's like the perfect vessel to, to like, you know, transfer uh, a warm breakfast ingredients to, to my mouth <laughs> and wake me up is the burrito. So I don't understand the, the breakfast taco and like, uh, Oh God, Adam, there was a place Probably in your stomping grounds as a child, um, down down near San Marcos, that was, um, God, it was, uh, I think it was called Money Pit. Oh, they had some of the best breakfast uh, burritos that I that I can. The Money recall. Pit was like a catch all place, man. Like they served everything. <laughs> it was like you want a burger at three in the morning, like they had you covered. Granted, they weren't open night only twenty four seven, but yeah, like you wanted tacos, they had those too. 
they had really good fries, if I remember correctly. Yep, good but, carne asada uh, fries. There was a uh, speaking of San Marcos, there was this place I went to, and they had the best breakfast burritos. Was called Oscars, and the burrito was three dollars. And I swear to God, that thing was like three pounds. It was like a dollar per pound of burrito that you were getting, basically, because there was just so much stuff. But yeah, they put eggs and they put like not hash browns, you know, because some places do hash browns in there, and that just that's not right. They put like big chunk potatoes in there. And then they put ham and bacon and eggs. And the salsa they had was like a really nice puree of like hot salsa. Oh, it was so, so good. Oh my gosh. Like take me back now because if I try to find a breakfast burrito in Santa Cruz, it's going to cost me a $12. (laughs) B it's going to be like, you know, a little bit of eggs, some probably hash browns. And if I want bacon, it'll be extra. And it'll be half the size of the one I got, you know, in San Marcos. So Southern California food, like especially Mexican food, they give you a ton of it. And it was always like, it was always good. It always had flavor and everything up here is bland. I'm sorry, Northern California, but your Mexican food sucks. It does. It does. Yeah. And you're, you're, I mean, everything you just said is 100% right. And like, and like what Lou, uh, when Lou was, uh, um, confirming what you said about the burrito being the perfect receptacle for breakfast is exactly my point whenever somebody wants to have this debate with me here in Austin uh, is I, if I want, if I have a breakfast burrito, I can do eggs and cheese and bacon and sausage and ham and fucking pancakes. If I want, I can put whatever the hell I want on it. Cause it's a burrito. I wrap it up and I can eat it. It's fine. Tacos, the way they compensate for the fact that it's messy is they hardly put anything on it most of the time. It's like half of an egg and one strip of bacon or just one link of sausage or one piece of ham. You know, you have to order five breakfast tacos to be satiated, depending on where you go. Um, And if you go to the right places, like Torchy's, uh, you can't close the taco anyway. It's literally it's it's Mexican pizza at that point. It's a tostada. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a tostada. Um, but like when people say "Don't mess with Texas," uh, that's bullshit. If you're in Austin, it's "Don't mess with tacos," because if I even dare say that breakfast burritos are better than breakfast tacos, they don't even want to have the discussion with you. I feel like this is like instant shutdown. Like, oh no, tacos are better than burritos. Like. <laughs> Yeah, it you can say whatever you want, and it is wrong. Like, tacos are better here. Drag them to Southern California, give them this giant burrito, and like, I don't like it. <laughs> That's probably what would happen. That's probably what would happen. They would just not like it out of spite. Awesome. Well, I, I'm glad I've learned a little bit more about the uh, tacos in Austin. I will uh, next time I find myself in Austin, I'll definitely have to give them a try. Yes, they are delicious, but. They're not as good as breakfast. Hey, Lou, you don't have to travel all the way to Austin. I think Taco Bell, believe it or not, had breakfast tacos. They are very different. I, I, do I, that. I, I don't <laughs> frequent the Taco Bell. Um, I'm just making a jab at, you know, okay, yeah, breakfast tacos might be so great, but if Taco Bell is doing breakfast tacos, you know they can't be amazing. <laughs> I don't even true. think Taco Bell went on, like, the breakfast burrito. They're like, eh, breakfast burritos are too perfect. I don't think we can, we can uh, top that, but... I don't know. Maybe we can try a taco. I, I think that's pretty easy for us. Fast food Mexican is just like a it's a, oh, a disaster waiting to happen. See, but okay, fast food Mexican food, like, no, that's that's different, right? Because all Mexican food is fast food in Southern California, right? Like, 
you go to any insert, you know, three, you know, four letters, Bertos, uh, in Southern <laughs> California, you go to any Bertos and, uh, it was all fast food, right? You'd order it and it'd be done in like three minutes because all the carne asada is there. They just warm up the tortilla, throw it all together and give it to you. You're totally correct about that. But like there, there's a, there's a huge difference from any Bertos to, you know, chain Taco Bell. Like, no, we're not, we're not doing there. That's what I'm saying. Like fast food, it's all fast. So you're just talking chain food, you know, chain restaurant, fast food, corporate America, fast food, which yes, I understand your point there, but I'm just saying that, you know, you could get a $3 in two minute, you know, breakfast burrito (laughs) in Southern California and you can't get that anywhere else. (laughs) Not that I've found. This is very true. This is very true. Well, I, I think we should, uh, probably put the lid on this thing and uh aaron do you want to uh go ahead and uh plug your uh, company's website one more time for us i will but not after i tell you guys how fun it was to talk to you and uh i i i really appreciate you letting me ramble on occasionally um but I, I really want to say thanks for having me on and i i miss working with you guys i miss seeing you guys every day um and you know i'll I'll probably be out in california i'll probably be in adam's neck of the woods in a month um and i'll probably be in your neck of the woods lou in uh in a few months hopefully uh, so i really look forward to that yeah. um put that shit on my calendar so uh <laughs> hell yeah well you'll go take me to get a shitty breakfast burrito um since it's northern california um yeah um but yeah, uh, the uh, company is, uh, it's called Arteries, and you can go to arteries.com, and uh, it'll tell you a little bit of, about what we're, what our mission is and our goal. Um, on there, you can, of course, go to any of our social media uh, platforms. Uh, one of the things that you can do on the site as well is uh, is join early. Uh, you can go up and, and basically join our mailing list so that you're on up uh, there for updates when we do a beta release um, and things like that. Uh, if anybody was to go onto the website and reference uh, this podcast, Creative Genius, in the little message, then um, we're going to put together some special stuff for any early adopters when we launch. So anybody goes on to arteries.com, signs up and mentions creative genius. We'll get you something special once we launch and uh, yeah, add us on Facebook and uh, Twitters and Instagrams and all that good shit and uh, send us your artwork. We love to share the artwork of people who follow us. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. It's been a pleasure talking to you. I mean, I love talking to you you know, in person every day. And like you said, it's been a while since we've been able to have a chat. So it's great to hear your voice again. And hopefully, you know, this isn't a one-time thing, you know, you're always more than welcome to to come on and let us know how Arteries is doing and give us more updates. Hell yeah, I absolutely will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I look forward to it. And uh, I look forward to you uh, coming uh, back to Southern California and us having a uh, proper breakfast burrito. Damn right. <laughs> 
I send me pictures wait. so I'm, I can dream. I'm so I'm so excited about it. <laughs> uh, well, we'll have all the uh, links to uh, Aaron's company and uh, all their social feeds in the show notes, and uh, you can find us on Twitter at CGFMCast or online at creativegeniuscast.com. Right on. Sweet. <laughs> you say anything else? Nah. Okay. Just out with awkward silences. It's the best way to make Adam's editing job more miserable. Or it would be really fun to go out on the awkward discussion about the awkward silence at the end. He'll probably do it. Don't worry. Ta-da! Easy as that. We're recording. Woohoo! Uh, it's funny because whenever I have to line up the tracks, usually I'll say go, and so then I see the, st- the track start, and then I'll hear me say woo, and then Lou says woo, we're recording! <laughs> <laughs> and so... I, uh, I love Adam's woo. It's so like, meh. It's like... <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. it's, woo! We're recording! Woo. It's, like, it's like a sad, it's the saddest woo. Like he's not dead. He just said "woo." <laughs> well, that was the uh, the air escaping from the folds of his fat. Did she talk about tacos? No. Okay, then ask me about tacos later on. <laughs> All right. No. I'm gonna put that in the. That's notes. gonna yeah. That's gonna <laughs> that's gonna be fun to work in there. Yeah. Reminder. Oh. Ask Aaron about tacos. Where's the taco emoji?